Hello, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. If you enjoy today's episode, check me out at narctroopers.com, where you will find a lot of other resources and goodies to feast on. Today's topic is a perfect pairing, the narcissist and the empath, wounded child. So one of the most profound things that I have learned from studying the narcissistic cycle of abuse and the people who are caught in the web of mutual psychosis, also known as the shared fantasy, it is this one idea. The composition of both the narcissist and their partner is similar in many ways. And it goes like this. The narcissist does not know himself, see himself, or any of that. He is extremely gifted in studying others and recognizing exactly what they are and what makes them tick. The codependent person has a very clear picture of themselves and understands their reliance on others. However, they are incapable of seeing the reality of other people. They see what they want to see, but, you know, that's about it. They, they, um, what they need to see. So the relationship between the person with narcissistic personality disorder and the person with a dependent personality disorder, which by the way is a cluster C, uh, cluster B, C disorder, sorry. Narcissists are B and the dependent personality is C. So it's a perfect match for a lot of different reasons. There are many types of narcissists and the also, you know, numerous types of codependents and empaths as well. You know, both are, um, uh, both are, are responses. What has happened to them? Their responses to early childhood, trauma of some kind in many, many cases, the majority of cases, maybe not all, but the majority. Um, They both involve fantasy as a means of coping, and they are both empty inside, and they need external validation. They don't know how to provide it for themselves. Either one of them, they don't. Their reaction to the trauma is what creates either the person with narcissistic disorder or the dependency disorder. Both are pathological reactions to unbearable abuse or neglect and both result from the unavailable or impaired parent figure. Both of them have a tendency to replay the roles of parent and child from their childhood and to set up that sort of similar dynamic so they can act it out again. So there are different types of dependent personality disorder. Uh, The first one is the borderline codependent. Um, They have fear of abandonment. They're clingy, prone to panic. They're submissive. They merge with their loved ones, um, kind of an enmeshment kind of thing. They have no autonomy. And this is sort of the classic type. The second kind is the psychopathic codependent. This this one has fear of losing control. They're dramatic, 
perhaps a little histrionic, chaotic. They weaponize their helplessness and they are emotionally blackmailing other people. Number three is the vicarious codependent. These codependents thrive from secondhand success, from the success of their partner. The inverted narcissist falls under this category sometimes uh, and is like the narcissist codependent. Number four, fluid codependent. The fluid is clingy and detached, needy yet aloof. They smother or abandon. They have mutual psychosis and shared fantasy and they are strategic. The fifth kind is the counter codependent. They have a fear of intimacy. They are defiant, independent, controlling, and antisocial. Now you can see from these five different types of codependence, and maybe you were unaware that there were five different types, and you know, this isn't um, sacred text or anything. Just because there's um, five types listed by some of the research that I've done, you can find other things that groups them into three subtypes or four or something like that. So it is, it is good to know that there are different types of dependent personalities and they sometimes may overlap uh, and, they, and they may have comorbidities. Um, dependent personality disorder, DPD, often comes from childhood trauma with toxic programming and scripts that the child has that involves abandonment issues and unhealthy attachment styles. These individuals have no boundaries to protect their identity or their dignity and will shamelessly cling to the person with NPD because they need someone to play both the roles of the parent and the child. The union is mutually beneficial to both because both of them have their dysfunctional needs for external validation. Like we said earlier, there's no internal mechanism to take care of that. They have to look outside themselves. All dependency disorders are multidimensional defenses against fear. Uh, they often start in this early childhood and, um, you know, and, and they go from there. Now, now that's the, the discussion I have about codependence. Let's talk about the empaths now. This is a very common word and uh, it's become sort of um, um, trendy, like everybody knows what that is and they all talk about it and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, there are some people who say technically there is no such thing as an empath. It's not in the DSM. It's not a diagnosis that you can code for insurance purposes. Uh, so for in many ways, it's just kind of a pop psychology made up word. But yet it does describe something very real. So I want to give some um, credibility to the term. You know, I, I've never really liked the term empath or the way that it's just tossed around. Uh, assigning labels to people, to, you know, who get tangled up with pathological types. But, um, but let, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the empath. It, it is used to describe anyone who, um, who, uh, has taken on an air of victimhood, perhaps, or implies that they have some kind of super sensitive abilities as healers or something to be overly sympathetic or empathetic in contrast to that narcissist who lacks emotional empathy. 
So essentially, there's four different types of offshoots of different types of empaths. And here again, like if you read someone like H.G. Tudor, he's a narcissist and he talks a lot about empaths. And he's got names for all these different kinds. The dirty empath, that's my favorite, the dirty one. Um, the fallen angel empath the this the that I mean he, lots and lots of different kinds so I guess you can do I guess you can do what you want to do with that word and define it any way you want since it's technically not a psychological term because those you know those have parameters and borders about what you can say but the word empath is sort of like you know it's like game for whatever you want to put on it for your, your interpretation anyway I thought that this was pretty good uh, these ones that I came up with these four so I'm going to share those with you so the first of the four types of empath is the intuitive empath uh, that possesses this unique skill set that combines with empathy or the ability to understand and share their the feelings of others with distinct um, sort of like instinct and perception all empaths have high levels of intuitive awareness. The second kind, in addition to the intuitive empath, is the emotional empath. An emotional empath means that the person has the ability to deeply feel the emotions of others around them. Sometimes it just kind of gets on them. They don't invite it. They're not trying to feel the emotions of others, but it, it comes into them and they and they just catch it you know it's like something that happens to them they pick up those feelings number three the physical uh, empath uh, can grasp onto the energy of other people's bodies and have the ability to feel what is troubling another person and even feel the physical pain and symptoms in their own body mm -hmm. that's an interesting one right and then the fourth kind is the earth empath uh, sometimes called plant empaths and they are both connected with nature mother earth even animals by being in touch with flora and fauna so um, I thought that this these four I mean I've read a lot of other breakdowns of categories of empaths but these four uh, were the most interesting to me so I chose to share those with you so now we've, we've talked about the borderline, we've talked about the empath, now let's talk about uh, types of narcissist. So the first kind of narcissist, and a lot of you already know all this, but I'm going to just go over it again, consider it a refresher, uh, is the somatic narcissist. The somatic narcissist, it's a documented psychological disorder where a person becomes obsessed with his or her appearance, their beauty, their person, personality, sex appeal, all of that. Basically all of the outward features that make a person attractive. That's somatic. Uh, usually quite promiscuous and um, not settling on one person usually, but many. Um, there may be a primary uh, person, but there's going to be the side pieces for lack of better ways of saying that also uh, number two cerebral narcissists these uh, are observed in a person who attempts to get their narcissistic supply or fuel from being super smart and flashing their big intellect around 
to get admiration, attention, and all of that good stuff. So the somatic is flashing one thing around. The cerebral narcissist is flashing around their, their big fat IQ. Number three, the overt narcissist, um, also known as the grandiose narcissist, is easily identified because they tend to be the loud, arrogant, boastful, insensitive to others and always thirsty for compliments. Their behaviors can be easily observed by anybody and everybody. They're not hidden behind charm and charisma the way that the coverts do. There is a shift in thinking these days, let me just say this, that says perhaps the covert narcissist is really um, the only true narcissist and the overt narcissist is really just a psychopath. And there's different types of psychopaths, primary, secondary, all different kinds of breaks down, breakdowns for those two. But that's a new theory that's being tossed around that the only real narcissist is the covert and that the overt is really a psychopath. Um, interesting, right? Number four is the covert, also known as the vulnerable or shy narcissist. A covert narcissist is a person who has symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder, um, but and, you know they hide them. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of obvious signs, but they have that false persona or that mask to uh, camouflage that they are indeed entitled, grandiose, insecure, um, charming, charismatic, out, you know, just very um, cutie patootie, little sweetheart, but they're just as destructive. And really, of all the different kinds of narcissists, I think that the covert is the most dangerous because of that whole uh, making you feel like you are just, you know, a princess in a Disney movie one minute and then the next minute you're being abused in the most profane, obscene and hurtful ways that are sadistic. How horrible that uh, the torture can be with a covert and it, and it bounces back and forth. Just when you can't take it anymore and you're getting ready to pack your bags, bam, here comes the love bombing and they're right back there, you know, being Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect and how can you leave that? And you just, you know, you fall back into it and you're loving all the good stuff. And then, boom, there they are again doing something absolutely to just gut you, to just rip your insides out and stomp all over them. So there's also categories of narcissists, high, mid, and low range. Uh, these describe the sort of, I guess the best way to say this is the level of awareness um, that a narcissist may have um, and their ability to conceal their inner emptiness, how well they can function in society. Also their level of sophistication in manipula manipulating others and, you know, just all kinds of behaviors that are based on how evolved they are. So um, the low the low-range narcissist is more primitive. They can't control their their rage and their, uh, you know, all of frustrations or whatever, and they act out more and um, seem to be completely out of touch with what they're doing and have no idea why they feel the way they feel or think what they think. They're just totally oblivious, and um, that would be the low-range. The mid-range has a little bit more self-awareness, 
they understand that what they do is is bad but they feel like you probably deserve it and they make themselves believe that you deserve to be punished so that they can be the good guy uh, but they do know what they do is is hurtful they just convince themselves that you deserve to be hurt they're a little um, more sophisticated in their charm and charisma they rarely show you any kind of rage or hostility or uh, temper like the low range does uh, they keep a handle on their emotions most of the time you may see some kind of passive-aggressive silent treatment or something from the mid-range but you're not going to see a temper tantrum really they may go pout but they're not going to throw things and scream and yell or attack you or something like that the high range they're probably really psychopaths we've a lot of people have talked about that they're the ones who do have the most sophisticated amount of self-awareness they're the most sadistic because they're more calculating they know what they're doing and they don't care they have no empathy no remorse no morals no nothing that you need to be considered a human and to uh, have any kind of humanity about you so the really high range they're really smart they're really masters of their game they're really great at uh, manipulating others and controlling others and um, convincing others that uh, they are the victim and that uh, people are doing them wrong but that they always do right um, so you know the, these different cadres describe different it's kind of like on a spectrum maybe you can think of it that way kind of like autism or something I had a conversation with someone recently that who told me that autism doesn't exist on a spectrum although that's still what they tell you in psychology like if you're going to school and they're teaching you about that they they kind of present it as, as it is a spectrum disorder but they said it's really not a spectrum it's more like a prism or a or a, or a um, column or a circular kind of thing where everything's kind of mixed together not a high-end low-end not a high-functioning low-functioning not a autism light and autism heavy or anything like that but you know I guess it depends on who you ask I don't know part of it is more of a political correctness than it is an accuracy in diagnosing the actual um, condition so narcissism is considered pathological when it interferes with the healthy functioning of an individual and prevents them from having healthy relationships you know and similarly they they cause much pain and suffering to all of those who are tricked into believing that they have met their dream come true pathological narcissism the characteristics may present with the affected individual having a chronic need for personal gratification and attention and then he or she may you know show very little sign of anything else they're gregarious they're charismatic they're ambitious they're awesome you know they're awesome um, you know they do a lot of negative things that will show up as red flags the blame shifting the history revisionist um, approach their arrogance entitlement their incontinuous memory they 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 do not have emotional memories of what has happened they don't attach those to people either and when you don't remember 
what really happened or how you felt when it happened, then you have no connection, no intimacy, and no uh, allegiance allegiance to anyone because you're just lacking those things. And so they have this uh, memory, this incontinuous memory that's fractured and it's just the weirdest thing out of sight, out of mind, like object constancy, like a little baby, you know, when you play peekaboo, when you put them the put the little thing over your face and then pop out, they think you're really gone like gone, gone, and they, you know, and then there you are again, surprise, ah, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know, the minute you're gone, it's like you don't even exist if you're not in the room right there side by side with them, um, you know, the lack of empathy and remorse, lack of compassion or mercy, dependence on others to meet their needs, um, you know, gaslighting, word salad, Cognitive dissonance, how seductive they are. They use weapons of mass seduction, especially the somatic. Oh, my Lord. Future faking, uh, promising you all kinds of stuff. Magical thinking, the shared fantasy, uh, selective amnesia, which is a little different than that whole memory inconstancy. Um, they have selective amnesia where they just erase things like it never happened. And I'm pretty sure that's what happens to you after you get discarded. You are erased and all of your maybe decades of time together, when the time comes and they do this, they don't remember you. They don't remember anything about you. It's gone. Definitely no emotion. They don't remember ever being happy with you. They don't remember ever laughing and having joy and having intimacy or anything like that, you know, they just don't. Um, they have a kind of moral ambiguity about them, like, you know, it's all good. Um, these are all trademark behaviors that will show up as red flags, and, um, you know, they're impulsive, and they're reckless, and they seek immediate and constant gratification. They're an empty well, a black hole. They snapshot their victims and internalize them, and and, uh, you know, their world is very black and white, and it can change on a dime. In an instant, poof, you go from white to black, black to white. And when they have used you up and they're ready for fresh fuel, they will be the most cruel, heartless, callous, brutal barbarians you can imagine. They will smear you. They will erase you. They will essentially kill you. Yeah. But, you know... You you choose the narcissists. They really don't choose you. There's no type of person they go for. Any, uh, you know, uh, port in the storm will do. Is that how that saying goes? Any port in the storm will do. Uh, you know, whatever, whoever, any type of person is going to be fine as long as you provide fuel and supply and um, are malleable and do their bidding and worship them as the gods they think they are, then really there is no type. It could be any type uh, as long as you can do that. You know, I think that most of us were volunteers. We're not victims. We wanted them to choose us. Um, you know, a healthy neurotypical person would see all those red flags that I just went over and they would intuitively know that something wasn't right and they would run for the door. 
the kind of person who continues to let others violate their boundaries and all of that, you know, um, to share in this mutual psychosis, shared fantasy, and to become trauma bonded and literally addicted to this neurodivergent narcissist, the kind of person who does that, that doesn't head to the exit or, or leave when they should, you know, that's us. Th those of us who have our own archaic wounding, our own attachment issues and abandonment issues, and maybe we are are codependent, maybe we're empaths, maybe we have dependent personality disorder, cluster C. But whatever it is, we have something that makes us stay, volunteering to stay. We're not captive, you know, we're, they're not holding us for ransom at gunpoint. We can leave at any time, but we don't. And there's, you know, it's more than just trauma bonding. I hear that word just tossed around so much. Yeah, it's a thing. It, it is real. Um, you have etheric bonds and ties with these people, energetic ties with them. You, It's like Stockholm Syndrome. It's like being in a cult. You get addicted. Yeah, I get it. I get that. All of that is true. All I'm saying is that, you know, at least initially when we did have a chance to get away, we didn't because we chose to stay. We volunteered. Um, you know, there's something that makes us do that. You know, it could be, who knows what it could be, but there's reasons why, um, that we do that. So the narcissist doesn't really have a type. It's anybody that can provide three things for them. These are the three things. If you can provide them fuel in the form of attention, affection, or adoration, all that good stuff, that's one. Two, residual benefits. That would be like money, sex, connections, uh, stuff like that. That's number two. And number three, personality traits. They're shapeshifters. They adopt your personality traits. They wear them like a flesh suit, like a costume or something. And so, yeah, they sort of like um, take your identity as their own. And so if you can offer them fuel, residual benefits and personality traits, even two out of three, then they're probably going to stick around. And uh, they know you probably are going to stick around too. You know, as long as you can do those, you've got a deal and you are a candidate. The, um, you know, I guess what is the last thing I want to tell you? Um, let me think. <laughs> okay, so you can't walk away. I know that. I'm not saying you could and you didn't, that you could and you won't. You get to the point where you can't. You just can't. And, um, you know, for covert narcissists, um, you know, th who are getting their three needs met, you know, they their partner is so entranced, enmeshed, and entrained and that's a whole topic for another day, entrainment, that, uh, you know, they might stick around for decades. And the narcissist may be getting such a good deal, he sticks around for decades too. So, you know, you may think you love them and you can't live without them, but it's really not real. They aren't real. And, you know, you cannot be real in a fake world. And they live in this fake reality, this fake world. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it's time to come out of the cave, right? 
reference to Plato's allegory of the cave, the world where, you know, the light is harsh and scary and you prefer to stay down in the dungeon, right? Reality may sting a bit, but, you know, you can't stay in La La Land forever. Sooner or later, they're going to discard you. And if you don't crawl out of that rabbit hole first, then it's, it's going to be just be worse. And so let's just keep that in mind. And remember, they are mentally unwell, spiritually hollow, morally bankrupt, and forever children who can never grow up. They can never, ever love you. So if they acted like they did, and if they even convinced themselves that they did, and persuaded you that, that they did, you know, it was all a beautiful, tragic lie. So my final word is, you've got to let them go. And you've got to do that any way that you can, using any resource that you can. You've got to let them go and remember what they are. So I hope that gives you a little bit more clarity today on the differences between the different types of codependents, empaths, and narcissists. And um, sorry about all the little lists, but I think having a little bundle of descriptors can provide a little bit of clarity for you. Okay, hang in there, troopers. Let's soldier on. Okay, bye. Till next time. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.